Welcome, and thank you for listening to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast in conjunction with the ABA Task Force. I'm your host, Ms. J, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Let's dig in and do life together with behavior analysis. Welcome, 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 and thank you for joining the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. I am really excited about what we're going to talk about today because it's for me, it's new. Um, it's a little different, I would say, but it's still within the realm of ABA. So it's going to be amazing and just an awesome time that we're going to have with Miss Kelly. And I'm not going to say your last name because I don't want to mess it up. So I will let you <laughs> say your last name, introduce yourself, and let um, our listeners know exactly who you are. Hi there. I'm Kelly Siphon, and it is a hard one. I always joke that um, every day of driving class is really exciting because my teacher realized it was like what you do to steal gas literally <laughs> every day. It was, it was super fun. So, gotcha. <laughs> it's like, dude, net, that's enough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, every day siphon, <laughs> like stealing gas. Like, all right, cool. Well, I'll use that for the rest of my life. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it works I'm, me. Uh, I'm the owner of Applied Behavioral Happiness, and I am super excited to be here today. Excellent. So we're going to talk about creativity in ABA. So first of all, what do you mean? Because, I mean, aren't we all creative in some way when we're, you know, designing our programs or making materials? Like, what do you mean? I love that we're starting there because that is absolutely true, that we are all creative in our own ways, that we all have creativity in us. We're not born with creativity that somehow beautifully manifests within ourselves that that only certain people get that gift. It's something that is genuinely able to be um, developed. It is a skill set. And because of that, it's a beautiful thing to come at from a behavior analytic perspective and go, oh, we can make some cool changes here. We can we can develop this in our staff. We can develop this in ourselves. And then we can develop this in the in the people that we work with. And what a wonderful, um, what a wonderful gift to be able to to give those around us to develop their their creative um, abilities as a skill set. So you said we're not born with this creativity; it's something that's developed. So, how do you develop creativity? Certainly. So, of course, we're going to see some some phylogenic and some ontogenic um, components to this because we can see um, pass through a family some genetic. Uh, predisposition to certain types of creativity, like uh, the if you have really good pitch and you mm-hmm. listen to a lot of music, you might have more creativity in, in terms of music. Where most of my study and um, education has focused is on creative problem solving and looking from that angle and going, okay, what are the steps in creative problem solving, which there's a lot of research on. And then from there, how do we develop each of those skills within it? How do we develop the ability to think of more ideas? How do we develop the ability to look at those ideas and make them into better ones or call the ones that won't work out? All skills that we can work through. And then from there, how do we implement it effectively? We sort of get into some more OBM stuff at that mm-hmm. point. Okay. Pieces yeah. Of it. yeah. So with those bits and pieces, like if I were that person who had this perfect pitch and like, what do I do with it to make make it um, something different, something new, something innovative? So some of the tools in 
in creativity and developing creativity, especially in um, creative problem solving, is we start with defining the problem, which mm-hmm. sounds extremely behavior analytic. That's what we do right. too. Mm-hmm. So the way that they often um, in in that side of research will define a problem is they'll say, okay, what's what's the opportunity? In what ways might I, and then put in what might happen? So in what ways might I sound different with, from somebody else who has a similar voice? Or in what may, ways might I um, create a new sound? And going through and looking at it that way can kind of reframe so we can start getting into, you know, relational frame theory and thinking Mm -hmm. about how we're looking at these different things can reframe how we are viewing this challenge and this problem and turning it into an opportunity for innovation. From there, um, I, the, the biggest thing in, in my opinion, and as shown in a lot of the research is to separate your thinking and creating time from your judging time. That is a huge thing. If I, if you take nothing else from this podcast, everyone listening, separate your thinking time from your judging time. Keep those different. Your thinking time is when you go and you get out everything your brain will let you get out. You really pump as hard as you can. And what you're going to find when you're practicing this at first is you hear a lot of, oh my gosh, I'm so dumb. I can't think of anything else. Uh, I don't know what to do. You, you'll start hearing those, those um, verbal behavior mm-hmm responses occurring in your head and every time one of those occurs an idea isn't (laughs) right that's right yeah you got to be able to recognize those and then choose a different um a different response hopefully a, a novel idea response and the big thing on not judging there is first of all recognizing those behaviors but second going I'm going to say this or I'm going to record this response before I worry if it's good I'm mm-hmm. just going to get it out. So how can I sound different? I'm going to sing with my feet. Great. Right. The worst idea ever, but you got to get it out first. And mm-hmm. if you get it out, then you can use it. If you keep it in and judge it and tamp it down, it's never going anywhere. Um, and I think after you, you've practiced that and you're getting really good at that, then you can look at, okay, now let's turn these into actual usable ideas. But if you mm-hmm. try to do that at the same time, you're just stifling your own ability to think. Wow. Wow. So you said this is like creative problem solving. Mm -hmm. Is it, so when I'm thinking creative problem solving, I'm thinking of things like, you know, you have a a hard task in front of you and you need to figure out how to complete said task. But then I think of the word creative and I'm thinking, okay, we're building these new skills. We have new methods of thinking. So what am I thinking of two different things or is that the one combined thing you say creative problem solving? So when I go through and think about it, I, when I think of creativity in general, I I tend to take a creative problem solving approach in in the way that I view it. Mm -hmm. Because again, I I reframe problem very quickly in my own mind into opportunity for innovation Mm-hmm. And so the the way that I have it structured in, in the way that I have it written out, my operational definition of creativity allows for both of those things to exist together at the same time. So when okay. I think about somebody making a beautiful painting, their, their challenge, their problem might be, I, I want to paint. Right. <laughs> I'd like mm-hmm. to paint something today. So in what ways might I paint something today? 
okay, here we go. We've got a creative problem solving moment where we can work through this. And it doesn't have to be, you know, super formal. I think about painting, I go through this thing, but you can, you can conceptualize it that way. So is it almost like a form of that psychological flexibility um, kind of of act kind of, it's like you're having that moment is happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that as we see more research into creativity, we will see more from ACT and RFT and some of this, this new wave of behaviorism coming through and going, okay, there's, there's, there's some really radical ways that we can look at this and maintain that it is behavior and maintain our study of the behaviors involved while looking into some really interesting um, covert things and some really interesting private events. Right, right. That would make sense because it, you, like I said, when I think of creativity, I'm thinking of, you know, the Picassos or, you know, these, you know, the Vivaldi's, all of these amazing people who put out or who, who had this output that society deemed as important and valuable. So when I think of creativity in ABA, I'm thinking, okay, are we talking about, you know, all of the big names of Skinner's and and Hanley and all of these people who have this output, or are we talking about something different? So that's, that's an often debated topic. And the best way that I've seen it, it, quickly run through mm-hmm. is there's two kinds of creativity. You've got little C creativity, which right. are the, the fairly ordinary things that come up. And then you've got big C creativity, which changes the world. It's it's that um, that painting from Picasso. It's that piece of um, new music that's completely different. It's mm-hmm. that invention that changes the world. It's the internet, you know, right. <laughs> things. Mm-hmm. And while we may not be predisposed to quickly reach those big C type innovations, every person can get closer to it and can really influence how well they work through the little C's, the little creativity things that affect everyday life and affect the people around us really effectively and efficiently just with the things we've talked about already. Right. Okay. So what does the research say about creativity? And then I want to go further into how do we apply this to ABA? So first, what does the research say? Absolutely. So my my minor in um, undergrad was in creativity and a lot of what I spent time on was working on um, Dr. DeBono who talked about lateral thinking. There is a good bit of research on lateral thinking and how that can expand um, the number of responses a person is able to give, as well as the the valued innovation from that. And there are a lot of of qualitative measures in um, a good bit of these studies, as well as quantitative. there, a good bit of my studies were in the creative problem-solving process, especially the work of Treffinger, um, and that is looking into what are the what are the steps through how we can go through um, working on different problems and things. I'm going to look to my notes a little bit. Okay, no I problem. Love some of the things that we have seen out of um, the ABA world. Right on right. creativity. I believe it was year before last. The ABAI had a, a creativity panel, although mm-hmm. I made my years mixed up. 
Um, Kabina, Morrison, and Lee in 2006 did a great just talk about what's going on in creativity and talking about um, different ways that we that we look at it and looking at different studies that have gone through. Um, there's Baker and Winston from 1985 that showed that creating instructions for yourself, talking about mm-hmm. what you're going to do. So kind of like what we talked about before, I want to make a drawing today. Right. Okay. I want to use this color. Just having those instructions to yourself can increase your creative output. There's a lot of little pieces through. I think if someone is looking to learn more about ABA and creativity, the first place I would send them is probably to, um, let me see if I can find my notes, Winston and Baker in 19, of 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, the page 194 specifically has a beautiful list down of a ton of different articles within the ABA field that relate to creativity. Mm-hmm. But the sad part of that is it's 1985. Right. <laughs> and what you'll see is there's this massive gap where we've got Skinner, who's, who's quite radical. Mm-hmm. And we go, and, and I'm using sad in this case because I love creativity, not because I disagree with methodological, um, behaviorism I I respect it as a as a different viewpoint I'm very radical myself right Um, there's a big gap where creativity is kind of um faux pas or you know it's it's not it's not a behavior it's too fuzzy we're not going to play with that Mm -hmm. as far as the research goes and then we're starting to see it pick back up again and I think that act and other um parts of of this new wave behaviorism and the the fact that radical behaviorism is kind of kind of um kind of cool these days has helped with that right so I know you said it was 1985 but what do you think where do you think the shift happened with between or what was the shift I guess you could say between 1985 and then the now emerging new I guess new wave of research with creativity I think and this is purely a hypothesis on my part. I have no evidence behind this. Okay. I think having looked at the timelines and tried to figure this out, Mm -hmm. that as behavior analysis began to be focused as applied behavior analysis, as it is related to what insurance will pay for care of children with autism, Mm -hmm. um, the focus of research, the focus of grants, the focus of right, um, right. our world kind of changed. Mm-hmm. And I think that the the timelines line up fairly well, that 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 would be my my hypothesis for the change. It just it wasn't it wasn't the thing to do for quite right. a while. There was right. there was other research being done that was um, considered extremely important and probably far more important for for making changes in people's lives. Right. Because, I mean, you do see, I guess, with most of the research, like you look back and it was, you know, you had dots of this and dots of that and dots of this and dots of that. And then all of a sudden or not all of a sudden, but gradually you saw where there was more research in the field of autism and developmental disabilities than there were of other uh, subject matter. So that makes perfect sense. So how as a BCBA or say an RBT listening, how can we be more creative? How can we have those little C moments more often than not? So just like with any other behavior, practice for fluency. 
Mm-hmm. And what I have done in my research in the past is work with students to go, okay, for one minute, think of as many things as you can related to this and that. So um, quite often I'll do playing with a child, stimulus A, stimulus B being a random object like a small chair. Mm-hmm. And then you tell me, you know, during this minute, as many things as you can think of. And then what we do afterwards is we go through and go, okay, we had these sorts of ideas. How could we have expanded on this one? The term Mm -hmm. used um, sometimes is hitchhiking. Mm -hmm. How do I take this idea and hitchhike off of it to get the next idea and hitchhike off of that to get the next idea? Mm -hmm. Then when I run out of things down that road, I can come back and I can start working other directions. And the way that I've conceptualized it, and and I've I've debated heartily with a number of BCBAs on the best way to conceptualize it, is um, looking at relational frame theory and some of the different like, okay, can I find something opposing? Can I find Mm -hmm. something the same? And then other people will look at it and use um, stimulus equivalence in order to conceptualize it. And I I respect certainly both both conceptualizations and I I really love having the discussion. Um, And I won't act like I'm a like I'm an RFT expert by any means. But I understand. Yeah, going through and um, and using that as a way to look at the the deep verbal behaviors that come in into play when you go, okay, there's a chair. Uh, it's a small chair. I'm playing with kids. It's now a blue chair. I paint it red. I paint it green. Now it's green, so it's like grass. So now I'm going to make a chair out of grass. And now the chair that I'm the grass is on the grass. Now the chair out of grass is in the pool. Pool. That reminds me of water. We're going to spray water at the chair. And you mm-hmm. can sort of freewheel off. And again, if I'm sitting here and going, why in the world would I play with a grass made chair in a pool with a child? I never, I can shut down my ideas right then. But if I just let myself freewheel out and practice working at this to fluency, what I'd really like to see is about one per second for 60 seconds. Um, I found that to be a really strong um, mastery criterion. Stressful. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Then we can go through again and go, okay, well, a grass chair in the pool. Is there a floaty that's shaped like a chair that's green? Like, oh, that could be an idea. Mm -hmm, Oh, what mm -hmm. if if we do like a little miniature thing and we can practice, you know, in a a little play pool or a little water sensory um, Mm -hmm. area? And I can start taking these crazy ideas and use them to create really new and, and interesting ways of teaching things, of playing, of um, connecting with the with the people that we we hope to bring wonderful new um, ideas and experiences to. So yes, practice, practice, practice. <laughs> gotcha. So I know you said you know you kind of do the hitchhiking and mm-hmm. you you know take one idea and then you kind of run with that and then you come back to another idea and you run with that. But for those doing programming, like how do we take, say, I don't know, a skill like eye contact and then run with it? Like what, how, how would you practice that? So again, I would, I would frame the problem. So whether Mm -hmm. we use classic behavior analytic terms with an operational definition, whether we're going to go more of like a um, precision teaching type route and put together a pinpoint or whether we're going to go a creative problem solving sort of route and go with a, in what ways might I, um, I'm going to go ahead and go that, that last route for this moment, but we can certainly explore the others as well. So in what ways might I increase eye contact? Right. That could be one. All right. So I could start thinking about what does, what do eyes mean? Is it Mm -hmm. contact with me? Could there be eye pictures on the wall? 
are we are we cool with looking at um, a book that has a picture of a bear with eyes? Like, is that kind of eye contact a good place to start? There's a lot of different ways that I can interpret that opportunity to make sure that we're starting where where everybody's comfortable mm-hmm. and that we're starting in a way that that works well for the situation. So again, I would use that same thing where I've I've got my my problem defined. And now I'm going to freewheel off and spend some time just thinking of ideas and then go through and, and judge whether or not they'll work. Like I could paint giant eyes on the wall that are, that are five feet by five feet. That's an idea. Right, right. Or we could put them under a microscope. And when the child looks down, they're seeing these cool little eyes in a microscope. Very different ideas, but would, would both um, help them with their comfort around eye contact, would both be a respectful way to help them um, develop that skill if that's a skill that that we're looking to help with um I don't know let's check yeah <laughs> you know, let's mean, have these ideas let's have these conversations if you got a kiddo that's way into science well I know which one I might try right I might a lot of that if I judged it first <laughs> you know right, what I mean right right like I didn't even think of you know like you said a kid that's really into science and having a hard time with eye contact like using a magnifying glass or using a, a, a microscope to have them look at eyes <laughs> before yeah. you know like you know doing the the transfer to looking at human eye or even at human eyes but looking at someone else's eyes or looking at their nose or something like that like I wouldn't yeah. have I wouldn't have thought about that because, you know, you think of, first thing you think of eye contact, you're like, okay, you have to look at me. So <laughs> you, yeah, would, and that you don't can really, really think hard. about that. You know, right. when using these creative problem solving methods, we can, we can slow way down and be like, hey, my friends, this is something, you know, that might help you in the world in the long run. But let's look at it from from how we can make this best for you and how, how do you want to work on this? And then, too, we have the time to go, all right, we've, we've done this slow enough where we can go, this is plenty enough to help them access what they need to in the world. And we don't need to teach any further because now we're just, you know, pushing past the, the actual skill needed or right. pushing into a place where their discomfort is higher than any possible um, positive outcome they could get from it. So you, it's really cool to be able to slow down and go the mm-hmm. creative route in order to, to ensure consent and to ensure, um, buy-in from the from the person you're working to help right so how would you approach creativity say with maladaptive behaviors because it seems like oh okay I can think of all of these cool innovative new ways to teach skill acquisition but what happens when I'm trying to decrease the behavior so I work with a lot of very verbal friends at this point um Mm -hmm. and the, the the kids that I work with I call them friends so you'll hear me throughout so my, my friends these days are very, very verbal generally, mm-hmm. and they're usually um, vocal verbal, and they they will often have behaviors that are maintained by access. So mm-hmm. I really like that thing, which means if I, Kelly, say no dice, that's not available, my friend, they're not feeling it. Right. <laughs> we're, having, we're having some big feelings over that. Yeah. And one of the things that I have found is if I can reframe that moment into a creativity exercise instead of a direct no, Mm -hmm. we can change that reaction. So you'll hear me a lot working with kids. They'll say like, "Um, can we take all the furniture out of the waiting room and bring it into our room to build a fort? No. No. (laughs) That sounds super cool, but yeah, but no, but no. <laughs> <laughs> we're 
especially not in the time of COVID. Ain't happening. That's that's a no never. There's times when we have no's, and that's that's a no never. I'm sorry, friend. Right. So instead of just going like, nah, I'm, I'm sorry, buddy, and going straight into um, some empathizing statements, which we often use here, like, hey, you know, I'm I'm I know you really want to do this. I'm so sorry that we can't. I feel disappointed too. Sometimes it's better to go, man. I wish we could, if we could take all of the, all the materials out of the waiting room, I wouldn't take them to our room. I'd put them on the roof. What would you do? And we start having this imagination moment where it becomes this new game where it's, mm-hmm. it's still a no, right? But in that moment we can go, well, I'd go to the moon. Well, I'd take it to McDonald's. Well, I would buy the chairs ice cream, but I tell the table, no ice cream for you. You know, you, right. you can make this fun little game from it where we're practicing um, an alternative response mm-hmm. to, to reaction to that aversive stimulus. And one that's that's really, really helpful because if a friend tells you no and you go, ah, that's all right. If you had said yes, then, you know, we'd go and do it on a safari and it would be so much fun. Then you've got this new, you know, interaction yeah. that can occur. Um, right. So you're, you've taught two skills in one almost or multiple skills in one. Absolutely. I like that. I really like Absolutely. that. So what about our non vocal verbal friends? Like mm-hmm. how would I say use creativity to decrease say aggressive behaviors or self-interest behaviors? Like how would we use creativity in those areas? Do you have a specific function in mind? Um, let's go with, let's say the aggression is denied access. No, no, no. Cause we did denied access. No, no, no. <laughs> Let me take that back. Okay. I accept <laughs> let's say attention. Let's go attention. with the attention function. Gotcha. So of course, as a behavior analyst, my first thought is on the antecedent intervention side. Right. So what kind of creative attention can I apply for this friend and looking through and running preference assessments on different types of attention is probably something I'm going to consider because if it's mom attention when she's talking to dad and that is like the gold attention, right? That's going to be way different than you know me writing something down for a second, um, which you know as in behavior analysis we're very familiar with. Right. So once I have the intricacies of some of that attention, or rather, let me back up. How do I know what to test for if I don't spend some time thinking creatively? Right. So going right. like okay, well, mom was here. So what if mom was not here? What if mom was doing yoga? What if mom was on the phone? What if mom was talking to dad? What if dad was talking to mom, but mom was acting angry? And you start, you know, going through all these different things and you can go, okay, here's some, some ones I want to test. Um, so that would be my first step of thinking deliberately creative while working through an attention maintained aggression situation is how do we think of what's going to be the most worthy attention? And then once we're able to run um, that that preference assessment, um, if we're you know we've already figured out okay we've we've run our FA or FBA we know that this is the um, the most likely function. Um, now we're going through preference assessment to figure out exactly like you know wheedle it into what's really important. How do I provide that attention um, on an NCR or or something that's going to be a really, really thick schedule so that we can take care of this on the antecedent side. So let's say it is um, when mom is uh, frustrated already and mm-hmm. talking to dad in, in a frustrated tone happens to be one of the, the more, um, <laughs> the stronger SDs. Right. 
um, which I've seen with friends before. Like one person's agitated and it's like, I don't know how to take this. (laughs) Somebody pay attention to me and make it happy again. I'm going to hit you, you know? Right. (laughs) We're just trying to make things, we're trying to get our needs met. We, We know that. So from there, now that I know that that's the attention that we need, how can I creatively look at replicating the same or similar attention in order to fulfill that need so the behavior doesn't have to occur? That would be my next step of, of creative thinking through. Yeah, there's there's little little creative things you can poke in every step of the way. And I love it because I don't think that many people would have thought, let me pinpoint the exact type of attention. It's mm. just like, oh, we find the, the function is attention. So we go with, oh, it's all attention when this behavior occurs. But, <laughs> but we don't necessarily try to, you know, weed out the exact um, type of attention or the exact moments when, you know, that function is, is the, is the, I guess the highest or however you want to frame it. Um, So I like that. I really, really like that. You might be able to find some of that too, if you decide that you're not going to go a full FA, but you want to go a little bit deeper than um, a, a, um, oh goodness gracious, there it goes out my head, an FDA. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, I would consider using a standardized descriptive assessment because that's going to create um, only natural reinforcements. You're not going through quite as strong as, a, as an FA, but it'll, it'll open up some, okay, we're going to, we're going to pull attention for a moment. We're going to create that possible um, SD situation mm-hmm. for the aggression to start, but you can, because you're only manipulating the antecedent and not the, the consequence, you can be a little bit easier off um, compared to an FA where you need to be a lot more careful providing that reinforcement right, for right. a behavior. And you can test some of those different types of, um, of attention during your assessment if you need to like hone it in a little bit faster instead of doing a whole assessment or right, for right. a really long time and then a preference assessment. I, I love an SDA. Um, so that would be something I would, I would suggest if you're looking at that. Okay. So we've talked about skill acquisition. We talked about, you know, the maladaptive behavior, but what about supervision? What about, <laughs> I'm trying to think of this. Every I'm going to get you with one of these. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm wondering, you know, how in your supervision then would you um, incorporate creativity? Because I, I know we have to follow, you know, follow the task list and we might add a few things here and there based on our own supervision style, but how could you incorporate creativity in that? Certainly. So again, and, and I have one of my students sitting in and listening while we're recording. So nice. <laughs> one of the things is, you know, think of creative ways that we can, um, that we can give different types of experiences for mm-hmm. sure. But, but to take it from from the the greater piece again, looking at we could define the problem multiple ways. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the the creativity route and go. In what ways might I create the best BCBA ever, right. or a BCBA that's better than me? Because that mm-hmm. that's our goal. Like if everybody that that went from working under me then excelled above me, how much like yes, yeah, right? <laughs> time that's awesome. Um, so going from that moment and going okay, what can I, can I refine that further? Like what matters to me as a supervisor in, in seeing the next wave of BCBAs come out? 
Like in what ways might I help create the most empathetic BCBA or what ways might I help create the, the, the best collaborating mm-hmm. BCBA? Because if we can collaborate um, effectively across fields, we've got some really neat stuff that we can do. So let's, let's take that one for a moment. If that's my challenge is I'm going, okay, I want to create the best BCBA. My, I'm honed it down a little bit. I'm going, I want to create the best collaborating BCBA there ever was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now it's time to think of situations. So what if I um, do a employee trade with another company for a week? So you get to try different types of um, situations. What if I bring in present uh, people doing presentations from other companies? What if we do a case study on a job that is completely outside of ABA mm-hmm. and look at how ABA could help? What if we go forward and have a test case that we put together and we have them argue for why ABA should not be used here and what other mm. therapies should be put in place? And you know these are these are fairly simple ideas, right, but again, right. if we don't sit down and think about them, then we might be churning out the same BCBA. Like, right. I don't want a, a copy of me. I want somebody who who thinks better and thinks faster and thinks more efficiently and, and right. has these these amazing new ideas. Um, and in order to do that, I need to start with, you know, what's what's my challenge? Right, right. So I, I love it. And I wanted to touch, you know, each piece of what we do because, I mean, some of the ways that you mentioned of kind of thinking outside of the box and really kind of honing in on different things or looking at things from a different perspective can make all of us like better clinicians and, you know, better service delivery um, individuals. Like, I love it. It's so cool to me because now I'm thinking of all of the different ways I could think about programming or I can think about my supervision and my supervisees like I'm so like beyond excited right now eyes sparkling (laughs) it's like there's an idea over here an idea over there there's like ideas now everywhere I just have to calm down a little bit get that can be so excited and reel it in but so what other I guess like takeaway would you want to to say about creativity and just ABA in general? I think, so we talked about, again, having your your think about it time, your create ideas mm-hmm. time separate mm-hmm. from your judge ideas time and having that time, like I'm going to spend five minutes on this, on just thinking of things before I'm, I'm willing to move into judging. I think um, the next thing to think about is honoring the different types of creativity. Like we talked about, there's classic, I can paint a picture, I can sing a song, or I can um, engineer this really cool thing. But also going, I can see when somebody is upset and I know how to help them, kind of looking into like the love languages side of things, which Mm -hmm. I know isn't straight ABA. But if we we view love languages and things similar as um, a form of reinforcer assessment or reference assessment, then we can go through and go, okay, you know, if somebody has an innate sense of that's a person that needs a hug right now, then mm-hmm. I can I can go and look at that from a creativity perspective and go, wow, they they were able to take in all this stimulus. They were able to hone down on a challenge and they were able to choose a solution for that. And if it's a solution that makes somebody's day better, that's a phenomenal amount of creativity. You know, that's right. that's that, that 
that might be a little C, but that makes a huge difference. So we can go through and we can honor different types of creativity and the strengths of different people by developing it in ourselves and by working to help others develop it in themselves. And I think that as a field, if we can, and, and you know, there, there, well, there might be pushback on this, but if we can get deeper into researching these behaviors and because for behavior analysis, we see mm-hmm. them as behaviors um, if we choose to um, and not worry so much about gifts or about, um, you know, whether or not your dad's dad was a, <laughs> was a painter or what right. have you. And, and view it as something that we can study, that we should study, mm-hmm. that we should um, develop, I think we have a lot we can give the world. And, and there's some beautiful things that we've, we've not done yet. And right. I hope that we can continue to, to work toward and to be a part of um, as far as research goes. Nice. I love this conversation. I'm just like over the moon, like happy because like I said, it gives you a new way of kind of conceptualizing things instead of thinking of stuff. So, you know, in such a linear kind of fashion, you can branch off and have these amazing ideas that can help the kiddos and, and the adults that we work with so much or and just in general, just improving our lives, just kind of looking at things from a different perspective can lead to Lord only knows, you know, what kinds of innovations that we can come up with if we just take that time, like you said, to to think and before we judge and to take that creative time and not just be like, oh, that's a stupid idea. And, <laughs> and you know, just throwing caution to the wind and saying, forget it. So that is amazing. Are there, are there any other like tips that you have for behavior analysts to kind of continue to, to hone that skill besides the practice, to hone that skill and really just use it in, in their everyday interactions? Um, I have another thought first, if that's all right. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, something else that when you were talking, I thought, what? What a beautiful way to to honor neurodiversity right. to think in this way, to go to have a new idea that is different and and may to some seem odd, off, bizarre, whatever uh, connotated word um, the world may use. Mm-hmm. And to go, this is a different type of of thinking, and that's awesome. And mm-hmm. how can we how can we be supportive of helping people be the best that they are? Mm-hmm. And how can we use their versions of creativity to to help them be the the best that they want to be? Right. And I just the way you were conceptualizing, I had that moment of like, gosh, this is this is a really cool way for those who are not neurodivergent for neurotypical folks to go and and really create more space for honoring different types of thinking. So I just right. had that thought, and I appreciate you giving me the the moment to just no, thank you. get it out. No, thank you so much because I mean, you're right. Like just imagine, like, it's amazing. It's, that's why I think why I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As far as, um, as far as other tips besides the practicing and besides the, the separating the thinking from the judging, which I know I've said at least three times, but it really matters. Right. Cause um, it matters. <laughs> yeah. It really matters. 
Um, Got to provide those SDs repeatedly. Exactly. <laughs> Repetition equals learning. Um, <laughs> to, to think about how you think about things and consider thinking about it the opposite way. Mm. because just those little moments of this is my truth and this is this is what I believe, that humility of what if I saw it from the other side can be just enough to help you see the solution you never would have reached before. Right. Um, so it's, it's a simple trick, but it's one that can be really, really helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly. Of course. This Thank you for absolutely- having me. This is absolutely amazing. Like, I know you can't see my smile behind my mic, but it's really big. (laughs) I believe you. So thank you. So first, before we wrap up, how can people find you and how can they get more information about creativity and how they can best use it? Certainly. So, um, I am Kelly Siphon, as I said before, Siphon, like, like you're stealing gas. Um, not spelled <laughs> that way, though. Sorry, folks, um, just to make it more difficult. Um, you can find the my company, Applied Behavioral Happiness, at appliedbehavioralhappiness.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Applied Behavioral Happiness. Uh, you can also find us on LinkedIn and Alignable. Um, we'll be launching a, a YouTube channel in March, so that's nice. coming along. Mm-hmm. We've got, not only do we work um, directly with parents to overcome challenging behavior through skill building programs and play, we also have um, printables like token boards and cool down cards and some really beautifully designed things um, that can be helpful to practitioners available at a nice low price. And it's one of those like get in now and you'll have it, no matter how much we add to it, uh, you never have to pay for more, which That's is awesome. Yeah, it's been a really cool model um, for making sure that we can get that out to the world and help everybody. You can um, you can email me, Kelly, K-E-L-L-I-E, at appliedbehavioralhappiness.com. Um, and we'll also have a link to a freebie for your listeners today. Yay! So guys, go to our website, lifewithbehavioranalysis.com. You will see that freebie just waiting for you, nice and pretty and packaged with love just for you. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Life with ABA on Facebook and Instagram. Also, like, subscribe, share, leave me a um, a review. Let me know what you think about this particular episode as well as previous episodes. Listen to all of them. They're there for you. So (laughs) if there's nothing else, Kelly, I thank you once again for being a part of this podcast. This was absolutely awesome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast to future conversations. Yes, it's going to be great. Thank you guys for listening and I will see you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Live with Behavioral Analysis podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Also, make sure you check out our website for more content. See you next time. Bye.